Welcome to the Upper Room Podcast. Thank you so much for stopping by. I'm Pastor Carl McLaughlin from Calvary Pentecostal Church in Euless, Texas. We're located in Dallas-Fort Worth, where 8 million call DFW home. Whether you're tuning in to Sunday or Wednesday's message, we pray that you will find words of encouragement. It is our mission to provide a positive and encouraging voice in the midst of uncertainty. I pray that you will be blessed by today's episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. We are so happy to have you here. This Sunday, we heard from Pastor McLaughlin as he taught about the importance of the cross. We are definitely better together because of the cross. We hope you're encouraged by this episode today and take the words of this week's episode and apply them to your life. I want to read Matthew chapter 16 and Acts chapter 2. Matthew 16 verse 24. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. And then Acts chapter 2 verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord and in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all of the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Verse 5. I want you to look at verse 5 because... This is a strong message of us being together and better together. And there were dwelling at at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. In a day and age where there is national calamity and wars and rumors of wars, and races cannot get along, and ethnicities cannot get along. There is a prophetic word that comes through the power of the Holy Ghost that there will be in Jerusalem or in the church devout men out of every nation under heaven. The cross of Calvary swims counterculture, and culture will not define dictate or determine the church culture in the 21st century. We want men and women, devout men and women out of every nation. God give us a multinational revival. Can I get a witness in this house right now? I need a little bit more monitor. I need a little bit more monitor. Can we clap our hands to the Lord and give him praise? Can we clap our hands to the Lord? We need an outpouring of the Holy Ghost. We need an outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Let's shout to the Lord with a voice of triumph. Let's give Him high praise. Let's break down every barrier. 
abilities. Break down perceived discrimination. Break that down in the name of Jesus and let Calvary be the central place and the epicenter where multi-racial, multinational revival continues to break out. Not breaks out, it's already happening. It's already happening. One more time, can we clap our hands to Jesus Christ and give him praise? God, I feel the Holy Ghost. God, I feel victory in this house today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you so much for standing. You may be seated. Jesus said, if you want to come after me, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And then he makes a statement in verse 25. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. I would like to tell all of us today that we lose our life at the cross of Calvary. But we don't even discover our life until we make our way to the upper room of Pentecost. We lose our life in repentance at the cross and crucifixion. But there has to be a resurrection if we're ever really going to find ourselves. And you don't get spirit resurrection until you get into that upper room. So Calvary, Calvary and Pentecost are not two distinct, compartmentalized, separate things. They must go together. You and I cannot stop at the cross and be saved. We go to the cross, but we've got to get to Pentecost and be filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost if we're going to be born again of water and spirit and be saved. Calvary is repentance and remission of sins. The upper room is the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. And we must be baptized in one singular name. It's not optional. You cannot pick and choose. It's not multiple choice. It's not all of the above. It's not none of the above. It's one of the above. It's Acts 2 verse 38. You must repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. The crisis of the cross and the power of Pentecost are inseparably together. There is a man that perhaps some of you may be familiar with. His name is Erickson, Eric Erickson. And Erickson was a psychologist in the early 1900s and he was studying how people develop, how they gain their identity. And so by virtue of wanting to know how they gain their identity, he looked at developmental processes. And as he looked at developmental processes, he actually established how one should be educated in order to, to shape their identity and those things that push against them that can either stunt their growth in identity or continue to shape their identity. And so Erickson's theory regarding the eight developmental stages of identity argues that at each stage there is a crisis point and there is a crisis point where there is a conflict and there's a conflict between a pair of imposing impulses or behaviors. 
For an infant, zero to 18 months, it's trust and mistrust that's developed. In an infant that has healthy interaction with a trustworthy environment, that child up to 18 months will develop in a healthy way because there's been this interaction when there was a need, the child cried out, the parents and the siblings responded effectively, and so when that child cried, it learned I'm in an environment that I can trust. And so from zero to 18, there is this trust that's developed in, in this process and eight stages of, of development. And so if there is not a need that is met, and if mom and dad are not there, and if siblings are not there, then there's mistrust that's developed from zero to 18. If the crisis is not resolved, when there's a need and then there's a cry, if there's not a response that answers the crisis, uh, then there's mistrust in that child. When that's developed from zero to 18 and there is not a healthy resolve, uh, it will become increasingly difficult to resolve it in the future as children grow up in each one of these developmental stages. Stage five is the adolescence stage, 12 to 18. And they say this, and think with me for just a moment here, and think about the educational system and what they're doing right now with gender fluidity and, and that you need to identify yourself. Why is that? One of the theorists, Erickson, said that from 12 to 18, teenagers or adolescents go through what's called conflict identity and conflict or identity confusion. So they will be, they are searching for their identity, they're going through identity confusion, they don't know who they want to be from 12 to 18. And this stuff can be working inside of them and all they need is a seed thought. All they need is an educator or a teacher in their life to just validate and affirm some distorted thought process that's in them. Ladies and gentlemen, we are not inherently good. We are inherently evil, shaped by sin. We don't have it within ourselves to figure out our personal identity. We need Jesus Christ. We need Jesus Christ. That's why the Bible said the Holy Ghost will lead you and guide you into all truth. When you get the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost straightens out your identity. Some of you without the Holy Ghost, you know what I'm talking about. You were violent, you were angry, you could have been a murderer, you were a drug addict, you were a lie, you were a cheat, you were a scoundrel. But when you got the Holy Ghost, you got your identity in Jesus Christ. And that all came through the cross of Calvary. You don't even know who you are without the cross. You'll be many people in many cells until you come to the foot of the cross. That's why we need preachers and teachers in the Sunday school classroom to tell our children that you were created in the image of God and you must never be confused about your identity. You cannot just explore and wherever you land, that's your true identity. God already designed it. There should never be confusion as to who you are and where you are going. Can we clap our hands and give him praise? We don't need a divided church where you believe it's genetic and homosexuals and lesbians can be genetic. It is not genetic. We are created in the image of God. 
and there must never, ever, 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 ever be any confusion about who you are. We're better together when we shape and form around one solid belief system. Hallelujah. So it's, it's in this stage five that there's identity and identity confusion. Erickson argued that in stage six is the young adult. It's one of the, it's one of the, the widest from 18 to 40. And in this stage of 18 to 40, when I was looking at this, when I was studying this, I got to thinking about, you know, there was a, there was a, a book written called Already Gone. And the book written Already Gone was stating through study and research that in North America, not just in Pentecost, but across all denominations, we were losing 70 to 80% of young adults. And it hit me hard. Hallie, Riley, you know, it hit, it, it hit me hard because we've watched. How many, how many youth groups have we watched? Then when we, they hit the young adult age from 19 to 40, and why 70 to 80% that departed across all denominations? Erickson's theory, now it's not a spiritual theory, but, but what he says is, is in this, the conflict, the crisis, is between intimacy and isolation. So when that young adult is looking for relationship, looking for a mate, looking for strong friendships, that's why when they come in from the world and we are saying, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, if they are walking away from that group, they need intimacy in the church, not isolation from the church. If we're telling them not to sin, we need a place where there's holiness. We need a place where there's salvation. We need a place where there's righteousness so they don't feel isolated when they come to the house of God. In that state, they're looking for intimacy and they want to know there's a church that loves me. There's a church that won't judge me when I fall one time. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, we need to pull together. We are better together. And you need to look around the church. If anyone is isolating themselves, don't say, well, somebody else will go love on them. You go love on them and recognize if they're doing that in the educational system, how much more should we be doing it in the spiritual context? So consequently, so consequently, they will isolate themselves. And it forced me to think of who Jesus was talking about when he said, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. How old were they? If we were going to plug in Erickson's theory, where were they when he said, I need to teach you something about the cross. I need to teach you something about denying yourself. I need to teach you something about being intimate in relationship with me. So I started taking a look at it, and we do know that, and these are assumptions here, but, but it's speculation, but it can be close. So let's explore it together. Jesus was 30 when he called his disciples close to him. A disciple was considered younger than their teacher. 
And so because disciples, normally they were known as students, and because disciples were, were normally younger than their teacher, then we know that it's possible that they were at least 30 years of age or younger. This intimacy or isolation comes in this stage, predominantly comes in this stage from 19 to 40. So if Erickson is a fraction accurate, then they were going through a lot of who am I right now? When this man named Jesus said, hey, deny yourself, come follow me. What he's saying is, I don't want you isolated, rejected, and lonely. I want you to become intimate and walk with me closely. It's not what the church can do for you, ladies and gentlemen. It's what you are doing with Jesus Christ. Uh, when he calls you and you're willing to deny some things in your life, you're willing to sacrifice some things and you're going to make up your mind, I'm not backsliding. Go ahead and write all the books you want to write about this young adult age, 19 to 40. I'm not going to be a statistic. you got to make up your mind. I'm not isolated. I'm going to walk in an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, and nothing is going to take me away from him. If I've got to pick up a heavy cross, I'm going to pick up a heavy cross, but I will not abandon my cross. I will not walk away from the truth. And so... He's calling them. The cross would be a crisis. At each new stage of development, there was crisis that triggered a proper response. When, based on that proper response, they go into, or a person goes into, the next stage of development. The cross. The cross was a conflict. The cross was a crisis. A crisis that would draw them closer to Jesus Christ. A crisis that would fuse them to a nail-starred carpenter. A crisis that would cause them to walk intimately with him. Or it would isolate them and they would have nothing to do with the cross. And they would seek relationship elsewhere. However, the early apostles chose to be better together through the crisis of the cross. A loving, intimate commitment was so deeply forged into their hearts that they became martyrs and were willing to die for him because of things that happened in this 19 to 40 years of age. I don't know what you're going through right now. I don't know how lonely you're feeling. I, I don't know if you're feeling isolated in this house right now, but I'm just telling you right now, through the cross of Calvary and through every crisis that God is allowing to come into your life, you can allow it to cause you to become more intimate with him than you have ever been in all of your life and you just anchor to the cross and you say I'm not going anywhere preacher you don't have to worry about me I'm not going to backslide I'm not looking to walk out of this relationship I'm not afraid of the crisis come on if you come into the house of God and you're thinking that the cross is going to cause a crisis free life not the case the cross brings conflict the cross brings offense but the cross also brings an intimate walk with God. And so he chose the crisis of the cross to call you into an intimate walk with him. Will you allow the splintered tree to draw you closer to him and embrace all that he is? Can we love him together right now? Can we give him praise together right now? 
In Luke chapter 24, we find the apostles and others living between the crisis of Calvary and the power of Pentecost. And Jesus teaches in such a way that through conflict, through conflict, he opens their understanding to develop them into the early apostles that the church needed and the church that he wanted in the earth. In Luke 24, 44, and he said unto them, these are the words which I speak unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. He said, if you want to learn about me, you can go all the way back to the first five books of the Bible. You can walk through the Psalms and you can go to the prophets. All of them spoke about the conflict of the cross. But notice what he does. He takes advantage of the crisis. He takes advantage of the conflict because it's conflict that causes us to go into new dimensions and new developments and new relationships. And so he capitalizes on this moment of conflict. Listen, this was not done in an isolated place. We're working with about 40 days after the murder of Jesus. They remember vividly. You have to imagine. this. He's in his resurrected form right now. You have to imagine just days prior, he saw or they saw him bloodied and and beaten where his face was beyond recognition you talk about a conflict you talk about a crisis and now he's telling them if you want to follow me you've got to take up the very thing that they crucified me on but when you make up your mind that it's not about my convenience or my comfort it's about my conformity to Jesus Christ I'm willing to carry my cross even though it provides conflict I'm willing to carry my cross even though it produces a crisis at times and so he opens their understanding, verse 45. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. It's amazing to me that God takes advantage of conflict and crisis to open up the Bible to us. How many times do people receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost because they're in conflict and they're in a crisis and they don't need him until the crisis hits? They don't really, they know he's there, he's on the shelf somewhere, but they don't really need him and all of a sudden a conflict comes into their life and they start walking and all of a sudden they come to the house of God and he opens up their understanding to the scripture. Things they never understood before. Why? Because pain seeks relief and pain says, I'll do anything to get out of this pain. Well, all right, you tried drugs and that didn't work. You tried multiple relationships and that didn't work. Nothing out in the world worked and you're still in conflict. Let me go to the house of God and try the Bible and all of a sudden God opens up understanding to people that are in conflict. It's the conflict of the cross that brings revelation to you and that revelation gets you out of the dilemma. Somebody, you got to make up your mind today you came in conflict. Today you came in a crisis but God is breaking through your conflict to give you a supernatural power of the Holy Ghost. Can we love him together? Can we love him together? Yes, Lord. And he said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer, and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. And behold, here it is. So he takes them from the crisis of the cross, points them to the power of Pentecost. Because there's no way to separate the two. 
Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. Tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Somebody may ask the question today, can anything good come out of the conflict I'm going through in my life right now? Somebody may be asking the question right now, you have no idea, preacher, what I came into this church with today. You have no idea about the questions of my identity and the questions of who I am and the questions of where I'm supposed to be and where I'm supposed to go. Can anything good come out of this? Well, I am going to tell you just as Jesus told the disciples, though you're going through a conflicted time in your life, if you can just get to the place where the Holy Ghost falls, if you can just get to the place where God can fill you with power, we don't need dead church, Calvary. If we've ever needed an upper room power of the Holy Ghost, we need the upper room power of the Holy Ghost falling in this place. This is where you get your true identity. This is where God fills you with the Holy Ghost and you recognize I was never supposed to be that guy. I was always supposed to be this guy, but I had to come through the cross. But I didn't stop at the cross. I came to an upper room where the cross allowed the Holy Ghost to be poured out. And when the Holy Ghost was poured out, we got our identity, ladies and gentlemen. This is who we are. We are new creatures in Christ Jesus. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I'm not in an identity crisis. I know who I am. I know why I'm grateful. Watch what they do. Watch what they do. He said, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. And he led them out as far as to Bethany. And he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. And it came to pass, while he blessed them, he was parted from them and he was carried up into heaven. And what did they do? Together. They worshiped him 40 days after the crucifixion. 40 days he appeared unto them, 40 days and 40 nights, showing his suffering. He departs, and 10 days after this event, they're going to get the Holy Ghost. So they're going through this 40 days of conflicted time. But how in the world do they embrace a worship service? And they return to Jerusalem with great joy. I don't know how you feel about it, but when I lose someone that's very close to me, even 40 days later, it's very difficult to have great joy. But somehow in the spirit realm, somehow by the power of the Holy Ghost, somehow when I lay everything down and I begin to worship Him, there's a joy of the Lord that comes into our soul. And then when we come together, when I do it alone, it feels good. But when I look at it and I know you went through loss last year. You went through a loss last year. You went through a loss last year. But we're better together. And when we come together and we worship Him, we're going to return not in depression. We're going to return not into a new addiction. We're going to return with great joy. We're better together and God sends His joy.
together through the crisis of the cross, carrying the horizontal crossbeam en route to crucifixion, where the upright stake already stood awaiting the condemned person, meant enduring mockery and scorn on a path leading to death as a condemned criminal. Crucifixion was the worst form of criminal death. The supreme Roman penalty inflicted only on the lower classes and slaves. Even talk of the cross and crucifixion could evoke horror in people. The platform on which Jesus' flesh was exalted was a crucified flesh on a bloody hill called Golgotha. Far from being entertaining, it was not an objectification of self or of flesh. It was the sacrifice of self. Denial, discipleship, crosses, and crucifixion are the cornerstone of Christianity. The cross was the common denominator that unified Simon Peter, Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, James the Less, Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot. The only one that I did not list is Judas Iscariot. Judas wanted silver over the Savior, so he doesn't get mentioned. He wanted personal power over divine purpose, so he doesn't get mentioned. And he wanted a crown over a cross, so he does not get mentioned. Matthias takes his place, and 12 were better together through the cross. I want to ask you a question today. Does the cross cause you to draw more intimately with Jesus Christ? Or does the cross, like Judas Iscariot, cause you to isolate and sell out your walk with God? Somewhere you've got to make up your mind if you're the only one in your family. I'm not going to isolate. I'm not selling out. I, I don't want silver. I want the Savior. I don't need a personal crown. I just want a personal cross. I, I'm willing to deny myself because I know if I can deny myself and take up my cross, I'll walk more closely with him and I will draw more intimately with him or more intimate with him. Can we clap our hands and give him praise? Some of you that have felt isolated, come back to the cross. Some of you that have felt misunderstood, come back to the cross. Some of you that are going through that identity crisis and you're wondering where you fit in and who you are. You don't run to more human relationships. You don't run. You don't jump out of one relationship and go to another relationship. You don't jump from one church and go to another church. You go to the cross. And when you find yourself in the cross, somehow God works it all out. Somehow God irons everything out. He just takes care of things. We're better together through the cross. The Latin term for cross is crux. Crux. C-R-U-X. Today, we say, just get to the crux of the matter. And we mean, get to the main point and bottom line. At least for some people. Others like to talk and go around the neighborhood. Like, what did Joe's brown car and Peggy's red suburban have to do with? Well, I thought you just needed to know that. Get to the crux of the matter. The cross is the main point in life. The crux of the matter. Isn't it amazing that in culture today, 
They'll even say, get to the crux of the matter. In other words, the culture itself, as secular as it is, can't even get rid of the cross. Little do they know when they're saying, get to the crux of the matter. They're saying, get to the cross of the matter. And I'm preaching today that the cross is the matter. If you don't have the cross in your life, you don't have the main point of living. But when you get the cross in your life, you've gotten to the crux of the matter. And everything else makes sense through the cross. So let's just get to the cross of the matter and let God be God. If you need healing today, God can heal you in this house. If you need deliverance today, he can deliver you. But it comes to the power of the cross. Let's get to the bottom line of the power of the cross and let that power unify and heal and work and pull us together. Nothing else really matters without the crux. I hope that the cross has not gotten in the way of church. I hope that the cross behind me did not get in the way of the praise singers. I hope that the cross in your eyes didn't get in the way of the musicians. I pray that you have not been inconvenienced by having to look at the crux of the matter all day today in this church. Please be sure to let me know if you were bothered by the cross being too big and visible today. I hope the cross did not prevent you from concentrating on who was singing today and what they were wearing. I know that we're looking for a smaller cross, but we don't need a smaller cross today. I know you're not embarrassed by the cross being in the center of the church and right in the middle of the platform. He said, take up your cross and follow me. I understand and I recognize today, and I may be getting a little bit ahead of myself, but I know that we're living in a day and an hour and an age where people want to take a saw and they just want to compromise the cross. They just want to cut some of the cross off and they'll reach up and they'll just start cutting away. Because the cross is too big. And there's some places you can't go with the big cross. The big cross won't go through the bar room into the bar door. The cross keeps you out of some places. And so they say, instead of staying out of those places, let me just cut it make it smaller. Well, preacher, you're just an old-fashioned preacher. Don't you know we need to whittle down and cut some of the cross out of the church and quit preaching holiness? Only baptism in the name of Jesus? Really? You mean you still believe in gender distinction? Really? You mean the ladies still need to have long, uncut hair? That's inconvenient. It doesn't fit in my life. It's out of context today. Let's just keep cutting on the cross. And some of us want small crosses. Some of us want little crosses. You know, crosses that hang around the neck where you tuck it in when you don't have to show everybody and you just hide it. We're not looking for that kind of cross. 
We're looking for a cross that stands out. We're looking for a cross that's distinct. Come on, ladies. The cross that you wear is a holy cross. It doesn't isolate you. It causes you to be intimate with the Lord. We're not looking to cut the cross down and make it smaller and compromise it. We want it big. We want it out loud. And we want to be identified with the cross. Can somebody clap your hands right now and give him praise? Quit trying to cut it out of your life. Quit looking for loopholes. Quit looking for ways to compromise. Quit trying to get into heaven the easy way. You've got to embrace the cross and all that it is. Woo! Somebody shout to the Lord and give him praise right now. It's not in my way. It's not in my way. I love it. I embrace it. I hold on to it. I'm not looking to cut it out of the church. Uh-huh. You mean you can't go there? No, I can go anywhere I want to go. Not that I can't. I choose not to. When I walk with the cross, it's not, a, it's not an issue of rules. It's the context of relationship. I'm in a relationship with my wife, and there are certain things I won't do, not because the law says don't do that. It's because I am absolutely in love with her. And because I am in love with her, there is a relationship. And because of that relationship, I do follow certain moral integrity rules that say I will never do some things because I absolutely love my wife. I don't live this holiness lifestyle because of rules and legalism. I live this holiness lifestyle because I love him. I love him. And love always has stricter holiness life than legalism. Legalism said, I'll come to the line and get as close to the line as I can. Love says, I'm going to get as far away from the line as I can because I want him to know he's a mighty God in my life and I love him. And I live this life because I'm in love with him, not because any preacher said anything, but because his word is a love letter to my life. And when I read the love letter, when I read the love letter, I fell in love with the master. And when I fell in love with the master, it's easy to say no. Some of you, let me just tell you something. Some of you, we could create 101 rules for you. And you still wouldn't go to heaven. You know why? You never fell in love with the master. You might be in love with the idea of Pentecost. Some of you fourth and fifth generation Pentecostals. That you struggle to come to church faithfully. And you struggle to live in holiness. And you struggle to lift people up and it's easy for you to tear them down with gossip and slander. You know why? Because you're living as close to the legalistic line as you and you've got a history and you're in love with nostalgia. You're in love with history. That was one of the problems of the seven churches of the book of Revelation is they fell in love with their history more than they did their future in Jesus Christ as the Alpha and Omega. You're gonna have a hard time living for God if it's about legalism. You're gonna have a hard time living for God if it's about rules. But when you fall in love with him, when you fall in love with him and you made up your mind, I choose to walk away from that. 
excuse because I love him. And my holiness walk points to my love relationship with him. Not a list of rules by the church. Woo! I love him. The more committed you become, the more crucified you will be. There is no such thing as a crossless, painless, bloodless, comfortable cross to meet your personal needs and make you successful. The cross is not about making us successful. The cross is about making us servants. And that's why Jesus said, but he that is greatest among you will be servant of all or shall be your servant. If we want to be worse together, let me tell you how to do it. If we want to be worse together, I'm going to give you a recipe right now. Let's all develop entitled, easily offended, demanding, expected to be served by you attitudes. Let's take up our swords and let's go for the heads of other people. And we'll be worse together. But if we want to be better together, if we want to be better together, let's all develop humility, hard to be offended, giving, expecting to serve attitudes. And instead of taking up swords to take other people's head off, let's take up a towel and go for other people's feet. Because as long as you had, now I have a towel in our hand and we're going for the feet of other people and not a sword going for the head. The church is a better place to be. We are better together when we've got a towel in our hand and we're washing feet. We are worse together when we feel entitled, demanding, critical, unworthy. If we want to be better together, look to your neighbor. If we want to be better together, that one that perhaps you've been at odds with in the church over the last two or three years, that's sitting across the church and you're over here. And when y'all walk out of the foyer, it's like. No, 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 no. You know what we would do? We'd be a lot like Simon Peter. We'd pick up the sword. Dude, you're a fisherman, not a swordsman. We don't even know how to use that sword. We don't even know how to fight. It's not in our Holy Ghost nature to fight. It's not even in our Holy Ghost nature to fight. It's contrary to Calvary. And it's contrary to that cross. Notice the cross is about a vertical and horizontal relationship. And until you and I get right vertically with him, vertically with him, we'll never be right horizontally with other people. And so it's indicative uh, that your, your inability to get along with other people in the church or out of the church, whatever, in your family, out of your, whatever, is indicative of an unhealthy relationship vertically with Jesus Christ. Because when you're walking with him vertically, it makes it much easier to get along with people horizontally. You're not looking for their issues. You're looking for ways to serve them. And you bow down and you wash their feet even though they're like Judas stabbing you in the back. And somewhere, I'm talking about Calvary love right now. I'm not talking about phileo love that you do me right now, do you right. I'm talking about unconditional love that comes to the cross. It says, even though you spit on me, I'll wash your feet. We're better together with a towel in our hand.
Christian Smith and his fellow researchers at the National Study of Youth and Religion at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill took a close look at the religious beliefs held by American teenagers today. They found that the faith held and described by most adolescents came down to something that researchers identified. You've heard me mention this before, but let me mention it again. They've done surveys across America, and they have identified that the younger generation, the younger generation identifies with what's called moralistic, therapeutic deism. As described by Smith and his team, moralistic, therapeutic deism consists of beliefs, and they did a survey. And you know, what I really thought about was sending this survey out before today and seeing the different demographics of our church and the way that these questions would be answered by those in the church. Because I'm real curious to see if even our younger generation would check the box on some of these that all the other adolescents out in the American culture are checking the box. But this is what they found. This is what they found. And this is, this is their belief system, their religious belief system. Number one, a God exists who created and ordered the world and watches over human life on earth. Number two, God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other as taught in the Bible and by most world religions. Number three, the central goal of life is to be happy and feel good about oneself. Believe that? Before God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is needed to resolve a problem. Otherwise, leave me alone, God. Number five, good people go to heaven when they die. According to Smith and the research that they've done, this is the predominant belief system of the American adolescent culture. And they go on to say, this undemanding, impersonal deity is more interested in solving our problems and making people happy. In short, God is something like a combination of a divine butler and a cosmic therapist. He is always on call, takes care of any problems that arise, professionally helps his people to feel better about themselves, and does not become too personally involved in the process. And I quote from George Barna. Christianity in this nation is rotting from the inside out, stated George Barna. MTD, or moralistic therapeutic deism, is essentially, and I quote Barna, what I would call fake Christianity. George Barna said that's fake Christianity. What he's saying is somewhere we better get back to the cross so that Christianity does not rot from the inside. If that happens out there, it normally takes 15 to 20 years to come into Pentecost. We don't need it coming into Pentecost. We need young people on fire for Jesus Christ. Whether you're happy or unhappy, the church isn't about making us happy. The church is about us being saved and embracing Jesus Christ. You're going to be unhappy probably more than you are happy. Don't go backslide over it. Don't quit the church over it. Get back to the house of God and get your hands in the air and return with great joy. The cross is enough to pick you up and out of this world. Can we give him praise right now? 
I'm just not happy. I'm going to backslide. I'm going to quit church. Well, just hold on. You'll get happy again. Stay in there. And then you know what's going to happen? You're going to get unhappy again. I'm just not happy, and I don't know if this is the right place for me to be. Okay, well, go somewhere else, and guess what's going to happen? Oh, I'm so happy. Just happy, 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 happy. I'm just so happy. This makes me happy. Happy, 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 happy. Hold on. Somebody's going to look at you wrong. Hold on. You're going to sing the special when they thought they were supposed to sing the special. Hold on. They're going to preach when you thought you were supposed to preach. Hold on. They're going to get picked to teach Sunday school when you thought you should have been teaching Sunday school. And your happiness is, I'm unhappy, I'm unhappy, I'm unhappy, I'm unhappy, blah, blah, blah. I'm just unhappy. I'm just unhappy. Well, hold on. That's going to pass. If you just stay in there, you'll get happy again. But it's not about our happiness. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink. It's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. You can have joy and be unhappy at the same time. Joy is a victory in your spirit. And it all comes through the cross. And if we can all come together at the cross. If we can all come together at the cross. We're coming to a close if the, if the musicians and the singers would like to come. He goes on to say, America's religion, you may stand with me. America's religion is longer that of the apostles who earnestly contended for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. Nor is our nation's guiding ethos that of our founding fathers who proclaimed, I quote Patrick Henry, in which I'm sure some deconstructist is going to find something wrong with Patrick Henry. But I'm going to quote him anyway. It cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was founded not by religionists, but by Christians. Not on world religions, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the America that we grew up in. And what we need and what we must have are people who are willing to embrace the cross of the Bible. The cross confronts, the cross convicts, the cross corrects, the cross transforms, and the cross, if you allow it, will conform. If we don't like discipline, we will not make disciples of Jesus Christ. If everything has to be about you, and your eyes glaze over when the conversation shifts from you onto someone else, and you have to go back to therapy because someone else's success damaged your self-esteem. You're going to struggle with the cross of the Bible. And by the way, that feeling of damaged self-esteem because others are successful, is it doesn't need therapy. It needs repentance because that is called pride, envy, and jealousy and must be repented of, not catered to. We need a cross. We need a cross. If your success is damaging my self-esteem, and I have to see if the therapist will take my insurance, 
so that I can go through a year of therapy because my self-esteem is damaged because other people are more successful than I am. And I'm going to sit here When everyone else patted them on the back and said they did a great job preaching, and no one told you you did a good job preaching, what were your thoughts at that moment? How did that make you feel? Blah. <laughs> Who cares? Get over it. Get back to the cross and let the Holy Ghost change us. Because if you succeed, I succeed because we're all one body. If the hand is effective, then the foot gets blessed and the eyes get blessed and the ears get blessed because we're all one body and we're better together through the cross. I don't need to be therapied out of it. I need to repent. God, I'm sorry for being jealous. Sorry that I've had a rotten spirit. Please hear me today. If you want to bypass the road to Golgotha, and you want to avoid the place of the skull. If you desire to escape Gethsemane, which means olive press, then your ambition is the palace, the pinnacle, and popularity. You are going to end up very lonely and disillusioned. Crisis teaches, shapes, and develops you for the next stage in life. If you're glamour boy, and your diva girl, you'll lose the influence that you seek to gain. You'll not be accepted in the group you think you want, and the group that you need will not trust you because you played them to get where you thought you wanted to go, and you're not feeling accepted anywhere. You're cheapening the call, and you're seeking a crossless life. Like a gadget purchased at the dollar store made of plastic, your life will be rendered powerless. This hour cannot afford cheap, plastic, fake Christianity. I just need to shout it from the rooftop one more time. There was nothing cheap, painless, comfortable, or self-gratifying about the call to the cross. It was humiliating. It was disrobing. It was lonely, it was bloody, it was painful, it was heavy, and it was deadly. And that's why there are few there be that find it. Broad is the way, wide is the gate that leadeth to destruction. And many there be that go in thereat. So I close with this. They led him away to be crucified. 
The march to the place of crucifixion was useful advertising for Rome. It warned potential troublemakers that this was their fate should they challenge Rome. Normally a centurion on horseback led the procession and a herald shouted the crime of the condemned. So Jesus was condemned because he claimed to be God. He claimed to be Jehovah. And they cried out, he's committed blasphemy because he's stating and claiming equality with the Father. It stands to reason that anyone who embraces that Jehovah and Jesus are one and the same will be persecuted. It will not be comfortable as we move forward. As Jesus was led away to be crucified, he was forced to carry the wood he would hang on. The weight of the entire cross was typically 300 pounds. The victim only carried the crossbar, which weighed anywhere from 75 to 125 pounds. When the victim carried the crossbar, he was usually stripped naked and his hands were often tied to the wood. Can I say to Calvary Pentecostal Church going into 2023, we are better together when we willingly carry the wood that we will gladly hang on before we're raptured out of this world. Holiness, separation, gender distinction, modesty, Jesus name baptism, Holy Ghost infilling evidence by speaking with other tongues are the wood beam that we will carry and gladly and willingly hang on. We're not looking to cut the cross beam off. We're willing to gladly embrace what separates us from this world. We're better together. We're better together. We all embrace it. And we embrace it together. He took the cross, Aaron. He went through Golgotha, which was the place of the skull. And if you're going to make it, sweetheart, you got to win in the place of the skull. You got to win right here, babe. You got to win right there, Rachel Rage. How do I know I've won, Brother McLaughlin? When you go there and you're in so much pain and nobody understands the pain that you're going through and they try to give you wine and gall to drink, sour wine, it was a numbing effect. It was to numb him to take away some of the pain of the cross. It was mixed with gall, which was bitter. It was, it was bitterness. And Jesus refused to even let it touch him because he said, when I go through the pain for them, I want to be able to walk into any conflict that they're going through and feel exactly what they're feeling so that I can come and empathize with them and care for them through the crisis to get them to the power of their Pentecostal experience. He never swallowed bitterness. He never swallowed bitterness. 
tried to get him to swallow it when he was most vulnerable and at his weakest point and mix it with a little bit of mind-altering, numbing, pain-relieving wine. And he said, I don't want the wine because I want to feel every bit of pain and have a clear mind to know exactly what I'm doing for my people. That's why some of you today that are going through a bitter season and you're on the cross and if you don't respond correctly to the crisis, you get stuck in the previous stage of development. So though you may be 40-something years of age, you're still in that 0 to 18 stage because you never learned to truly trust. And you got all these issues carried all the way through life. Today, right now, at this altar and at the cross, whatever stage of life you're in, would you come to this place Say, Jesus, I know that through the cross of Calvary, every sin is forgiven, every pain can be healed, and I know that I'm better together with the church of Jesus Christ. The altar's open right now if you want the baptism of the Holy Ghost, if you need God to touch you, if you're just wanting to walk up to this place and embrace the cross all over again, would you come? come today? Would you come today? If you've been tempted to swallow the bitterness, if the bitterness is touching your lips, spit it out. Spit it out. Yes. preaching to somebody that's been stuck in your life and you haven't been able to get to the next stage or the next place. God is going to heal you today. I'm telling you through the power of the cross, God will heal you, make you whole. Thank you so much for listening to the Upper Room Podcast. If you want to stay connected with the church and the podcast, don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram, Facebook at Calvary Pentecostal Church or Instagram at Calvary Ulyss or visit our website at calvaryulyss.org. You can find our calendar and all the events that are happening this year. We have so much happening at Calvary Pentecostal Church that we can't wait for you guys to get involved. Thank you guys so much for listening and we'll see you guys Friday.